And then it was on top right there. Really easy to access. Well, I didn't know that. So I'm looking all over underneath there. And because I'm not a great mechanic, I'm thinking it's right here in front of my eyes and I don't see it. But I'm just laying on my back, you know. I mean, with my hands up like this, back before shoulder surgery when I could get both hands up like that. And uh, so I spend forever and don't find it. And, and um, so I went inside and like no big deal. Nothing happened. I just laid on my back for a while and looked around under the car for like half an hour. And I go inside, and everybody's gone but me. And I leave my phone in the bedroom, and, and I took a shower, and then I came in the living room, and, and I sat down. And like half an hour after I sat down, my back blew up. I mean, I couldn't even hardly breathe. I don't know what happened, um, but my back blew up. And, and so... I, I needed to call somebody, you know. I, I was in some of the worst pain of my life. And so I tried to stand up, and I fell on the floor. It took me 45 minutes from where I fell on the floor to get back on the couch. 45 minutes. So I stayed there until somebody got home, and then we went to the urgent care, and, and the rest is history. So um, what a sad story, okay? There, there are Kleenex in the rows there with you, so you can dab your eyes after you're done crying. Um, all my back injuries are related to, are to activity related to moving. Riding a horse, riding an ATV, um, in a helicopter, trying to fix, you know, put, re, replace a fuel filter so I could continue to go places in the car. All of them are, re, are activity related to moving, to making progress of some time. So now, as a result of these injuries, my back doesn't like me when I run. So I don't run. Like, ever. I try, I try to carry on me stuff that will allow me to um, address whatever occurs in my life here because whatever starts happening here is going to end up happening here because I'm not going to run right over there for my back to be hurting and stuff still happen, right? So I don't run, ever. So in an effort to get some cardio exercise once in a while with a back that makes running and sometimes even walking much distance difficult, I, I've used an elliptical machine, an exercise machine, and it's got those foot pads on it, and then they are, so, you know, you simulate a walking motion, and then you hold on those two bars that go back and forth, so gives your arms a little movement, too. Um, the feet never leave the foot pads, so there's no jarring, there's no, you know, increased pressure on the back. It, it's a way I can get some exercise and not mess my messed up back up worse. So... The display shows how much distance I covered, how many calories I supposedly burned, but I never actually moved any distance. I end my workout on that cardio machine, on that elliptical, exactly where I started that workout. There's activity, but there's no actual progress to a new location. Um, do you know what else is like an elliptical exercise machine? Worry. Worry is an activity that seems like you're dealing with something, but you're not. Um, it's, it never takes you anywhere. It doesn't solve your problems. It doesn't heal your body. Um, it doesn't put more money into your retirement account. The reality is, worry costs you energy. I mean, it even paralyzes you. Worry is a waste. So now you may be thinking... Um, Rick, you aren't paying attention because we have plenty right now in our world to be worried about. 
Well, from a human perspective, yes. There's plenty to be worried about. Generally, I think money is maybe our chief worry in life. But with the onset of COVID-19 virus, we're now in flight or fight mode to some degree about food and shelter and basic provisions. I mean, you know, we had a run on, on the most incredible things. There's a virus that causes respiratory problems, so everybody bought toilet paper. Um, that's funny. You, you know, that's the kind of thing a comedian would write as a joke, but that, that's how we, as a society, reacted. We don't know what's going to happen, so we worry. We don't know what to believe on the news, so we worry. Our friends and family share all sorts of conspiracy theories on Facebook, so we worry. But in the midst of a world of worry, the one who isn't worried is Jesus Christ. Even better, Jesus has for us an alternative perspective. In Matthew chapter 6, let's read together verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Now there are some passages in the New Testament that are difficult to interpret. But this one? is not one of them. Jesus spends ten verses saying worry is a waste. He uses the word worry six times. And he says don't worry three times. Now I realize that there are many people who have anxiety disorders. Anxiety is now our most common mental health issue. Particularly among teenagers and young adults. Over 40 million have been diagnosed with some form of anxiety disorder. I want you to know that when I speak of illegitimate worry, I'm not speaking to those who are struggling through mental health issues. Okay? That's important. In this context, Jesus is speaking of a general tendency to worry. He provides two reasons we shouldn't worry. He's telling us worry is useless. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus puts forth the theme or the general principle of this entire passage. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, 
and the body more than clothes. Therefore, is drawing a conclusion that ties back to the previous passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, if you want to take time to read that. Jesus said there, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is giving us a treasure test. And he now segues it into a stress test. It's easy to say, oh yes, I treasure God. Jesus says, well then why are you so worried about everything? If you treasure God, you'll trust Him. Don't be worried is an imperative or a command. Jesus' words go from a greater to lesser argument. He tells us not to worry about our needs, food, drink, and clothing, because our life and body are far more important. And I said that backwards. He goes from a lesser to greater argument. Um, He tells us not to worry about our needs, food and drink and clothing, because our life and our body are far more important than just that. Now, I need to state a couple disclaimers here. First, don't worry does not mean don't plan. And I'm going to get in trouble here, but the King James Version translates the phrase, do not be worried, as take no thought. And I think that's misleading because it gives the impression that future planning is unnecessary. Take no thought to anything in the future, right? Over the years, many people have mistakenly assumed that this is a prohibition against things like career ambition or financial planning or life insurance. Um, But that is not what Jesus is saying. We know from other passages with His words in it, from the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament, Jesus is pro-planning. He wants you to work hard and plan for your future. To do otherwise is to be foolish and to violate most of the book of Proverbs and many New Testament passages that specifically say to do that. God expects us to do what He's called us to do and trust Him with the results. And second disclaimer, don't worry doesn't mean don't be concerned. Uh, Getting into the original language, the root idea of the Greek verb worry means to be pulled apart. The word can refer to legitimate concern and care for something, such as care for the Lord's work or care for someone's welfare. But typically, the Greek word refers to illegitimate worry. The distinction is this. Concern is when you can do something to help a situation, so you do what you can. Worry is when you can't do something, but you don't want to leave it up to God. So in other words, worry is concern gone haywire. It's paralyzing anxiety, worry that cripples its victims with dread. In fact, our English word worry comes to us from an old German word meaning to choke or to strangle. And over time, the word came to refer to mental strangulation. That's a a picture. Literally the condition of being harassed with anxieties and care. Worry will choke the quality of life that you have. Worry is a waste. Okay, so we're not supposed to worry because Jesus seems to be saying that if the Lord gives life, He'll take care of that life. But Jesus, being the master communicator, anticipates a follow-up question. God can provide, but will He provide? 
Having established his theme in this first verse, Jesus now gives us two examples of worry. Food and life, he discusses in verses 26 and 27, and then the clothes and the body in verses 28 through 30. And in these verses, Jesus argues again from the lesser to the greater. So, first in verses 26 and 27, Jesus discusses food and life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The word translated look, look at the birds, is better expressed in the English as take a good look, consider, study. This is a command to watch birds. So if there are any bird watchers out there, now you have a biblical proof text for your passion. Why does Jesus command us to watch birds? Because evidently birds do not worry. Birds fly and eat, but they don't worry. They build their nests and collect food for their young, but they don't worry. Why? Because God feeds them. The point is, as we fulfill our daily responsibilities, God is faithful to carry out His responsibilities. When mentioning birds, Jesus is very careful here not to call God their Father. Instead, Jesus calls God your Heavenly Father. In other words, if God cares for birds who aren't made in the image of God, how much more will He care for us who are created in the image of God? We're far more valuable to God than birds. We have a Father who deeply cares for us. So if we believe in a Creator God, we must also believe in a Sustainer God, or we're simply being inconsistent. So now Jesus continues his theme of life in verse 27 where he says, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And the literal language in the original Greek is, Can anyone by worrying add a single cubit to your life? So Jesus deliberately mixes metaphors here. He takes a term of linear measure, the cubit is approximately 18 inches, and it was gauged back then by the distance from your elbow to the end of your middle finger. Okay? Um, Approximately 18 inches based on the length of the arm from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. And And he applies this linear length to the duration of our earthly life. This is similar to our own expression, like when we turn 30 or when we turn 60 on the 28th of this month, um, we declare I've reached another milestone in life. Um, Jesus' point is this. Worry won't extend your life. Um, The length of your life is entirely in the hands of God. No one can shorten it. No one can lengthen it. But what's fascinating is, from a human perspective, worry may actually shorten your life. Um, It will cause us to lose sleep, to get ulcers, to have high blood pressure, to have headaches. It will sour our mood and distance our friends and eventually stifle our relationship with God. It not only has physical consequences, worry has spiritual consequences as well. Worry is a waste. And then Jesus, in verses 28-30, through segues to clothes and body. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? The word see, again, is a strong command. It means more than just a mere casual glance. It means to study, to consider, to look um, carefully and deeply at the beauty of the wildflower. Look at its texture, its petals, its form and design and the color and how the different parts fit together. Jesus says that not even Solomon in all his glory, who was the standard of the richest man who had ever lived, was dressed like a wildflower. The emphasis shifts slightly in verse 30 where Jesus speaks of the clothing of the grass of the field. Like flowers, grass is transient and visually even less impressive. Um, The grass of the field was a standard image in Jesus' day for something that was worthless. Yet God clothes the grass whether we fertilize it or not. Jesus longs for you to learn a lesson from the flowers and the grass. He urges us not to be worried about clothing because God will clothe us. We may not be decked out in designer wear, but we'll have what we need. God will provide and meet our needs. Jesus closes this brief section with a mild rebuke, you of little faith. This phrase is just one word. In the New Testament Greek, Jesus invented the word. Little faith. Um, I always go back to something that I'm not even sure is politically correct to say anymore. Um, The first pastor that I remember teaching from this passage said it was like he was calling them, calling us, faith midgets. Um, Little faith, faithlets. Um, Jesus invented this word. It seems to be a nickname to gently chide his disciples for their lack of confidence in God. But Jesus doesn't use the expression to condemn us, but to help us overcome worry and to increase our faith. We must sense the tone in Jesus' voice. He's not scolding. Um, He may very likely have been smiling, you of little faith, when he said it. Jesus will not berate us because we're worried about so many things. We don't need to add that to our list of what we worry about. We must always remember that Jesus is touched with the feeling of our weakness. We're told that um, in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. He's an empathetic high priest, it tells us there. It's also important to recognize that Jesus doesn't say, Oh, you of no faith. He said little faith. Um, There's a big difference there. Little faith is believing in God as Savior, but not believing sufficiently in God as provider also. Some people have enough faith to believe God will get them to heaven, but not enough faith to believe He'll get them through the next 24 hours. Uh, They're absolutely confident of the sweet by and by in heaven someday, but are terrified of the nasty here and now. Uh, May we pray for more than little faith. Fog can blanket a city for seven blocks in every direction and be as much as a hundred feet high. 
But if you could take that fog and condense it into water, it would only fill up a single glass. Worry is like a gigantic fog that can blind you and cause you to take your eyes off the Lord. But when you see worry for what it really is, you realize that it's nothing more than a little glass of water. When you try to actually grab onto the worry that you're consumed with, it's so fleeting that it isn't even there. Jesus is saying, God will guide you through the fog of worry if you let Him lead the way. He alone, Jesus alone, can overcome your worries. We must continually ask ourselves, what kind of Father do we have? And remember how faithful He is. We must then trust Him to help us overcome worry. And remember, worry is a waste. Worry is useless. Why is this so? For the simple reason that God will meet our material needs. That's His promise to us, and He is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your great love. Thank You that You are faithful. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank You that You have promised that we are more important than the rest of creation. And that look at the beauty that You have placed into the wildflowers and the grass and to know that that we are created in Your image and so much more beautiful than that. And thank You for uh, giving us the example of the birds that do their work, that fulfill their responsibility, gather food, build nests, but they don't worry because You take care of them and You provide what is there for them to, t- to take and use to build and sustain their lives. And You do the same and much more for us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you most of all for your great salvation. In your precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Now we can can share prayer requests and praises together.